In August of 2014, when I was serving as a young Area 70, I received an assignment to a stake reorganization in Odessa, Texas. A stake reorganization is a stake conference in which a new stake presidency is called. I was to be the junior companion to Elder Dale G. Renland, a General Authority 70 at the time. I knew little about Elder Renland then, but learned that before his call to full-time church service, he was a doctor, a cardiologist actually, who specialized in heart failure and heart transplantation. He was also a professor at the University of Utah Medical School and served as the medical director of the Utah Cardiac Transplant Program. In other words, he's brilliant. At the time of that state conference, Elder Renlund had just recently returned to church headquarters after serving as the area president in the Africa Southeast area. I cannot begin to express how delightful that weekend was. I learned so much from Elder Renlund. My experience with him has greatly influenced my personal ministry. But what I remember the most is somehow I felt better about myself after having spent time with him. About a year after that assignment with him in Texas, in October 2015, he was called to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. I could not have been more thrilled or less surprised. Some people have to grow into their calls, but it seemed to me that Elder Renland was born to be an apostle. In his first address as an apostle, he said, to effectively serve others, we must see them through a parent's eyes, through Heavenly Father's eyes. In every interaction I have had with Elder Renlund, I have always felt that he has looked for the best in me. Not long after his call to the Twelve, Elder Renlund came to Tennessee, and once again I was assigned to be his junior companion. This time his wife, Sister Ruth Renlund, came with him. Sister Renlund is both talented and credentialed. She graduated from the University of Maryland School of Law with her Juris Doctorate. She practiced law at the Utah Attorney's General Office for three years and then joined a law firm in Salt Lake City where she practiced for 20 years. She was president of the law firm when Elder Renlund was called to be a general authority and was also the first female president of the Utah Trial Lawyers Association. She is also brilliant. But most importantly, Sister Meredith and I found her to be warm, engaging, and a master teacher filled with the Spirit. Sister Meredith and I immediately fell in love with Sister Renlund. Fast forward about five years, Sister Meredith and I were on a mission tour back in the same part of Tennessee and met with a group of stake presidents and their wives. One of the wives told us that the sisters still talk about that visit with Sister Renlund. And then she told us that one sister who attended that meeting, who was pregnant at the time, was so touched by Sister Renlund's presence and teachings that when her daughter was born, she named her Ruth after Sister Renlund. So somewhere in West Tennessee, there's a seven-year-old girl running around named Ruth after Sister Renlund. Do you remember when President Nelson taught us the following? The Savior's message is clear. His true disciples build, lift, encourage, persuade, and inspire. Both Elder and Sister Renlund epitomized that truth, and we are so blessed to have them here with us today. Well, my dear brothers and sisters, it is always a pleasure to be on the BYUI campus. Excitement for learning and the hope for the future are in the air here. Change to me is always invigorating, and your new university president, President Meredith, and embodies vigor. We love and support him and his talented wife. 
Jennifer. You will not go wrong if you look to them to see what life looks like for disciples of Jesus Christ. Thank you to that wonderful choir and the accompaniment. It was a stirring rendition of Come You Children of the Lord and sets the tone for what I'm about to speak. Tonight, I'd like to tell you a story from my family history. You may have a story like this in your family history, too, or your experience may be the source of stories that your posterity will tell about you. My story is from the life of my second great-grandmother, Antoinette Marie Olson, who was called Nettie. Nettie was born in 1845 in Oslo, Norway, the first child of Christian and Christine Olson. Nettie and her parents joined the church when Nettie was about 10 years old. As a result of joining the church, Nettie and her family were shunned and ridiculed for their new faith. She worked, even as a small child of 10, as a weaver in a factory to save enough money to immigrate to Salt Lake City, Utah, to be with other Latter-day Saints. When she was 20 years old, she was ready to undertake the journey. Her father made her a travel bag, which contained a few pieces of underwear and a second dress. She wore the only pair of shoes she owned. Neither she nor her parents understood the nature of the journey ahead. Nettie sailed across the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean and landed in Boston. From Boston, she took a train to a point near Florence, Nebraska. From Florence, she walked to Salt Lake City, a distance of 1,000 miles. Before she could walk 300 miles, her shoes wore off her feet. Nettie offered a fellow traveler her spare dress for a pair of shoes. The woman to whom she had made the appeal had several pairs of shoes, but she refused, saying she would need the shoes later on. So Nettie walked in her stocking feet. She mended her stockings each night by the campfire to be ready for the next day's walk. It wasn't so bad, she later said, through the deep sand for miles and miles, but oh, the cactus patches. On November 8, 1865, Nettie arrived afoot and alone in Salt Lake City. She knew only a few words of English. She had met Christian Frederick Bernard Libert on the trail, and he helped her find work as a weaver and helped her learn English. She later married him. The family calls him CFB. She bore 11 children, and she and her family eventually settled in Ashley Valley in Uinta County, Utah, where she died in 1932. She was an ordinary, an ordinary woman, but I have frequently thought of the sacrifices that Nettie made for her faith. She sacrificed personal comfort, her homeland, and the company of her friends and family in Norway. She sacrificed everything she had ever known for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You may wonder if she thought her commitment to the restored church of Jesus Christ was worth her sacrifice. She knew it was. 
She had a deep testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith, although she never met him. She lived her life consistent with principles of truth and served the Lord, her family, and neighbors. She had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the promises he makes to the faithful. Her sacrifices built her faith, and she was faithful to the end. The prophet Joseph Smith wrote this statement about sacrifice for the lectures on faith. Let us here observe that a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. After reading this statement, the natural questions that follow for me are, what am I willing to sacrifice to have the kind of power and faith in my life? What am I willing to sacrifice to have staying power, the power to stay faithful to my covenants that I've made with God? What are you willing to sacrifice to have power sufficient to produce faith that is necessary for salvation? It's helpful to remember that in ancient days, sacrifice meant to make something or someone holy. We can read in the scriptures how sacrifice has been required of all God's people in some form from Adam and Eve to today. Originally, God's people offered a sacrifice of animals. It was a symbol of the sacrifice that would be made by the only begotten Son of God. This practice continued until the death of Jesus Christ, which ended animal sacrifice as a gospel ordinance. Today, he invites us to offer the sacrifice of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. This means that we offer our willing obedience, humility, and repentant hearts. Emblems of Christ's sacrifice are presented to us each week during the sacrament when we can remember the body and blood of Christ, which was sacrificed for us. We are all confronted every day with the question of how we will use our time. President Russell M. Nelson in General Conference recently observed that mortality is a master class in learning to choose the things of greatest eternal import. Choosing how you use your time is not just a challenge when you are in school. Every day you will decide what is worth your time and your talents and what will need to wait or simply be eliminated. Perhaps you sacrifice time on social media to permit time to study. Maybe you sacrifice time for yourself for employment so you have enough money for your needs. You may sacrifice sleep to serve in the Lord's kingdom and attend Sunday meetings. If you find yourself wondering if the sacrifice you make to live the gospel of Jesus Christ and serve in His Church is worth it, please ponder the questions I posed earlier. What am I willing to sacrifice for the kind of power and faith in my life that is necessary to produce eternal life and salvation? What am I willing to sacrifice to become holy and worthy to be in God's presence again? I am sure that 
Nettie Olson Libert thought it was worth her sacrifice of personal comfort to come to Zion. It was worth enduring the pain of the cactus patches that she trekked through. It was worth her sacrifice of popularity to have the peace and power of covenants in her life. It was worth her sacrifice of time to have the companionship of the Holy Ghost. I think she found that what others now call sacrifice were really expressions of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in His promises. My dear young friends, as you make choices for now and your future, the greatest choice you can make is to choose Christ and His gospel and all the glorious truth it contains. Choose to make the necessary sacrifices to become someone who has faith with staying power, holy and worthy for salvation. It is worth it. I know this to be true. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.